It's Monday. You know what that means. Shout out to Brody Lee. Welcome to another episode of Monday Football Monday. RJ couldn't be here today. We had a little technical issues, but in his stead, they have left me to host. They have left the youngest member at SB Nation to host. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you know, this is the first time. We're going to see what happens. Hopefully it's good. Hopefully we get to do this thing again sometime. But like I said, I am JP Acosta, writer, NFL writer at SB Nation, and I am joined by my co-writer and co-host Mark Schofield and Rachelle Prevett, always behind the scenes, working the ones and twos. Mark, how are you doing? I am doing well, JP. It is fantastic to have you in the big chair, and I feel like you still have one more job to do before we start rolling in. We do have one more thing to do, and that is the reminder that this show is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Make sure you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNFL. That's right, SBNFL for a special offer when you sign up only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So now that we got that, thank you for reminding me because I was for sure just going to dive <laughs> right in to a week of football that was, it started off kind of slow. But then it started It started to get to a little crescendo around the mid-game window, and then it just fell flat on its face right. at the end of the day. So we're going to start with, I guess because we kind of, RJ, we're kind of making sure RJ is still represented here. We'll start with the Dallas Cowboys handling the Los Angeles Rams 43-20. to Of course, the big news coming out of that is Matthew Stafford's injury. It looked like he hurt his hand throwing a pass late in the game. And then, of course, the Rams threw a two-point conversion to him, in which he scored, but it, you could tell that his hand was kind of still messing with him. And rumors are that he might be getting put on IR, but outside of that, the Rams just looked kind of like they weren't ready for the big time yet. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of a disaster on a couple of different levels for the Rams. I mean, the Stafford injury, anytime you hit your hand on a helmet throwing a pass, it's not fun. I mean, it, haven't been there and done that. It is not an enjoyable scene. John Fossil, the special teams coach for the Dallas Cowboys, he dialed up some stuff. I mean, there was that sequence where they blocked the punt for the safety. Then they returned the free kick down to, like, the 10-yard line. They also, I think, they, I mean, they had so much stuff dialed up in the special teams game. There was another sequence. Dak gets a tip, interception. Micah Parsons comes around the edge with a strip sack fumble and the ensuing possession. I mean, this was the game where you're like, all right, well, if you're going to buy back into the Dallas Cowboys, this is the game to do it. Dak played extremely well. Yeah, this was a fantastic game for them. I mean, I think the reason that RJ's Wi-Fi might be a little sporadic is he's so excited about what he saw yesterday. He's just been firing off article after article, piece after piece over a blog of the boys because if this is the game you saw – and you were like, all right, well, I'm going to start doing some power rankings. You'd have Dallas near the top based on this, right? Yeah, and I think for the Rams, from the Rams' perspective, this is kind of the proverbial glass ceiling a little bit. Like, they kind of overachieved through the early parts of the season. They were like, oh, Matthew Stafford looks pretty good. Oh, Pukunakua might be a real thing, which he still is. But this team still has major flaws. And you could tell on the defensive side of the ball, they had no answer. Even when Aaron Donald played really well, he had yeah. another Aaron Donald-type performance. There are 10 other dudes on that field. And a lot of those guys are very young, very, very low draft picks outside of undrafted free agents, especially in the DB, DB room. And the Cowboys just took advantage of that. CeeDee Lamb had a phenomenal day. It felt like every time they threw the ball to CeeDee Lamb, he was making a catch. 
And it was so cool seeing how Dallas kind of moved him around to make sure they got the best available option for him. But at the end of the day, I mean, there's only so much you can do if you're the Kobe Durant or, or Kello Willis Witherspoon. Right. They just don't have the guys there yet. And I don't know if this really changes my mind on Dallas. Dallas can beat up on teams that they know they're better than. That's never been the issue for the Cowboys. It's just now like, yeah, you can beat those teams. Where are you when it comes to the next level? Yeah, I mean, that's where I was going to go next. Like, is this what we saw from Dallas yesterday? Is that sustainable? Obviously, look, we know what awaits them this week. Like, like huge, massive game, one that, you know, if you're Dallas, you have to think, like, you've got to win this one, especially after all the th- stuff you said before that Niners game. But is this Cowboys team we saw, is that something they can do against Philadelphia, against some of the other teams? Or is this just they could do it against – the teams like the Rams, but when they play San Francisco, when they play Philadelphia, they're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, this is going to be a huge, major test for this team. Again, especially like you said, coming out of that Niners loss where they looked outclassed, it's time. It's kind of put up or shut up time. We're entering that mode, that part of the year where you're starting to separate contenders from pretenders. And if the Cowboys are truly contenders, they have to actually – I'm not going to say they have to win this game, even though it kind of feels like this is a must win. You just got to be competitive. Like You have to compete. You can't lose by 32. You cannot lose by 32. You cannot have an offense put 42 points on a defense that we all presume to be one of the best in the league. Absolutely. So they they had a tune-up game. They needed a tune-up game going into the big game against the Eagles. And, you know, they they look like the Cowboys. They look like they're still going to be very good. Now, going over to another major quarterback injury, the Minnesota Vikings took care of business against the Green Bay Packers, but they're going to have to go through the rest of the season without quarterback Kirk Cousins. It's feared that he has a torn Achilles. I think the 49ers, not 49ers, the Vikings head coach Kevin O'Connell said they fear an Achilles. The MRI is going to be done later today, but it's really unfortunate for a guy like Cousins who was playing some of his best football of his career before getting injured. but. The Vikings still pick up the win over a Packers team that looks right now just – it looks really bad at this point. It looks very bad. And it's not – you know, I do a weekly show in Wisconsin every Wednesday, and it's not all Jordan Love. I mean, even in this game, like some of the throws that he made probably should have been caught. You know, the interception, and Coach LaFerce said it after the game, probably should have been a catch instead it's an interception. But – even that was kind of not the best place throw. Receiver still has to turn awkwardly for it. Some of the drops that you're seeing, some of the misses that you're seeing float around X, Twitter, threads, wherever today, they're still kind of poorly placed or at least not the best placed throws from Jordan Love. And you've got now, you know, I've seen some locker room stuff coming out where players are saying, look, we're starting slow. We're starting slow in games. We can't get off to good starts. Like where does the blame fall? on the spectrum there is that a player thing is that a coaching thing is it both you know the defense has given up plays sometimes they get put in bad positions you know i think yesterday was more kirk cousins was playing well until the injury but from minnesota's perspective like what do you do now at qb like yeah is this is this the ryan Tannehill destination i saw and this might be more a reflection of where things are in new england right now but last night, Sunday night, I saw a report on NBC Sports Boston as Mac Jones could be the answer for Minnesota. And I think that's more like wish casting than anything else. <laughs> but, but what do the Vikings do? So I think they have a few options. I think if they really believe, like, if they can be competitive as part of a competitive rebuild, you go and sign a guy. 
I mean, even like worst case scenario, like a Colt McCoy, go and trade for like Case Keenum and run it back, just yeah. run back the vibes. But I'm not sure if they want to go after a Ryan Tannehill because if you go after a Ryan Tannehill, that means like you think you can make the playoffs. Like that's something that you're highly investing in. Now, it also it also feels like the question for the Vikings is this trade deadline tomorrow, the NFL trade deadline, are they going to be buyers or sellers? If they decide that they're going fully into the rebuild now that Kirk Cousins is hurt, which could be a thing like this could the Kirk Cousins injury could spell, OK, it's time to wipe the slate clean. Now is the time to start the rebuild, even though Cousins is injured. Maybe they ship out Daniel Hunter. Maybe they go and start trying to get as many assets as they can for the upcoming NFL draft. It feels like they're in such an interesting place when it comes to both the present and the future of this franchise. I'm really anxious to see what's going to happen with the Vikings going into the NFL trade deadline. Cause they could also be buyers. Like you said, I mean, they're not that far out of the playoff race. If the, the playoffs happen happened. right now, they're in like they're yeah. stepping seed. If it happens right now and their schedule. So you've got Atlanta, new Orleans, Denver, Chicago, Raiders, Bengals, lions, Packers, lions. That's a like, lot of winnable games. That's like, a lot of winnable games. And they could literally say, look, we can maybe not the Tannehill thing because that's probably going to be a bit more expensive, but a case Keenum or signing the street free agent or at least making an addition at this position because, again, they're in right now. They've got winnable games left on this schedule. They could talk themselves and do a, hey, let's just get in, give ourselves a chance, and, you know, maybe. And maybe it all comes down to the MRI, right? Maybe it all comes down to the Cousins MRI in the next couple of days. And if it's not – as bad as feared, although the locker room seemed to indicate it was pretty bad. Maybe they could say, look, we'll, we'll bootstrap this over the next couple of weeks, and maybe we get Cousins back for a stretch run and make a run. Maybe if the MRI is bad, it, like you says, jump starts the, all right, this idea of a competitive rebuild that was fun and all, it's time to do it for real. Yeah, and one name that kind of popped in my head now that you were talking about what quarterback they could go after, what about Minnesota Vikings quarterback Jameis Winston? I mean, what if you if we really want to try and make this competitive without breaking the bank, Jameis could be their best available option. I mean, if you want to sign an off the street guy, maybe Brett Rippon, maybe Carson Wentz, but I don't know what you're gonna do with like Carson I mean Wentz. Carson Wentz to the Vikings for like a stretch run would be just hilarious. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like a good option. That feels like you know. You're trying to find something to eat late at night, and Denny's is the only available thing open. Right. Like, it works, but you're not yeah. going to enjoy it. Most no, of the time. and you're going to kind of feel bad about yourself in the morning, physically yeah, and mentally, but yeah. You're going to feel terrible, but it got the job done. But I don't even know if Carson Wentz can get the job done at this point. So what they what they do going forward is going to be interesting. The Packers just – I feel looking back and saying the Packers are going to win the NFC North, Probably wasn't the smartest thing I've said, but it's just such a it's su such a weird team because so they're they're talented, but it just it just never fully comes together. The offensive line has looked really bad. Of course, David Bakhtiari has not played. The defense just again for a team with seven first round draft picks on that side of the ball, they should not be as bad as they are. Right, and, and yet, I know. Barry gets a lot of the, the stick here, and it's not all scheme, though. Like, yeah. it's lack of execution. It's everything. Yeah, like some of these guys, like, 
they're going to be in the market for safeties. Those guys are getting older. They're not playing as good. Rashawn Gary is phenomenal, and we saw that with the extension that they paid him today, four years, $96 million. But they need to find some level of consistency on that side of the ball because, like you said, if the Packers offense is going to consistently get off to slow starts, they have got to figure it out on defense. And offensively, it kind of just feels like this is what we should have expected with Jordan Love for a guy who was going to be making his first career starts in the NFL ever. It's going to be some growing pains, but I don't think this offensive skill position room is going to help him out a lot because you still don't have a lot of talent there. Like their best offensive option is Aaron Jones. And while Aaron Jones is really, really good, you're platooning him with A.J. Dillon and you still don't have a reliable receiver to throw the ball to. Yeah. And the lack of chemistry at times between receivers and Jordan Love is apparent. Like, you know, Kurt Warner and Dan Olofsky did videos last week about how they're not reading things the same way. And again, this is something that comes up each week. Is it coaching? Is it players? Is the message not getting through? Like, what is the problem? But, you know, I always like to look at Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas and New Year's as like your markers for an NFL season. We're at Halloween now and you haven't figured some of this stuff out. It's getting late for Green Bay. Yeah, this this might be entering. You need to start looking at NFL draft prospects right now. Yeah. If you're Green Bay Packers fan, our, our good buddy Justice Mosqueda is already, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's already looking at prospects. He's already looking up AI images of Jim Harbaugh holding. Oh, the, oh boy, holding the Lambo, holding, holding Lombardi Trophy. Well, that's spicy. <laughs> Which would be the funniest thing ever. So, do you think that this is a Lafleur situation that we might be looking at? I don't know. I think LaFleur is a good coach. Yeah. I just don't think they have the guys this year. They don't have the dudes on offense. And you you can mask not having the dudes when you have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, but now you don't. So this is going to take a lot longer of a rebuild than a quick one-year flip is going to fix. But we were talking a little bit about Ryan Tannehill and him being on potentially on the trading block because welcome to the NFL, Will Levis, the Tennessee Titans slash Houston Oilers slash Houston to be ashamed of themselves for letting that happen. Defeated the Atlanta Falcons 28-23. Will Levis threw for four touchdowns. I know you watched him a little earlier today. What were your initial thoughts of Levis? I want to know his arm routine. That's my first thought. Because <laughs> And I remember being in, in, in Indianapolis for the combine, and Ben Solak was sitting right by me, and he, would, he described him as a very vascular quarterback. I mean, that arm routine is impressive. Um, but he's he's got a great arm. It was and you you pointed this out earlier. His spray chart from Sunday was one of the strangest I've ever seen because there are a bunch of deep shots down the field, and then like 70% of his throws were behind the line of scrimmage. It was very much like, yeah, he's got a huge arm. We'll lean into that, but everything else is gonna be at or near the line of scrimmage. Like I went into this morning thinking I'm gonna write up Will Levis, and I got done watching him, and I'm like, I don't know what to say. Like, I, I don't know what to write about it. I mean, I, I think my biggest takeaway, DeAndre Hopkins, man, a couple of those routes he ran, the second the, like, dig, then go, which was his second deep touchdown, that was a nasty little route. Um, Tennessee, though, again, it's almost similar to Minnesota. Like, what do they do? I know they already traded Bayer. Like, there's been rumblings about Derrick Henry, and there are certainly teams that would like to be in on a running back. Baltimore might be one. There might be others out there. Like, what do they do? Do they try to compete 
with Will Levis at the helm because we already heard Tannehill's been ruled out and Levis is going to play Thursday night. AFC South seems to be getting away from him, I think. What, it's a three-game in the wing column lead that your Jacksonville Jacks have right now? So what do the Titans do? Do they move Henry? Do they just right play this straight out with Will Levis? I don't know. But a good start from Levis. Hawkins looks great. The, the uniforms were fantastic. That's my main takeaway. The uniforms are awesome. I feel like we could have, we should have done like a uniform tax. We're like, oh, we should have known the Falcons were going to lose this game. They yeah. cannot beat this team in the baby blues. No. But I think the thing for Levis, looking at the spray chart, it kind of reminded me of like the James Harden era Houston Rockets where everything was a three pointer or a layup. Yep. You're either just chucking it from 40, 40 yards, 40 feet out, three pointers, or you're hitting a layup, or it's, it's real easy. And that's something I think the Titans can kind of lean on. And, you yeah. know, you talked about DeAndre Hopkins a little bit. I feel like he's kind of got the old man game going a little bit. A little bit. He had a he had that little uh, uh, OPI, the push off on the first touchdown that the ref didn't call. Yeah. That peak Chris Paul old man game buffoonery. Yeah. Rookie's that, not getting that call. Oh, yeah. He, rookie's not getting that call. That is a DeAndre Hopkins signature moment. But I really do wonder what the Titans do at the deadline. You know, I think – they could have still been buyers. I think there's still a few teams that are interested in landing Derrick Henry, of course, because he's Derrick Henry. But it kind of feels like, you know, maybe the Titans are like, hey, we might not be able to challenge in the division, but maybe we can put something together to make a wild card run. But even then, that's still going to be really, really tough in an AFC that, you know, you're going to have to go through Buffalo. You have to go through probably three other teams in the AFC North. You're going to have to go through potentially the Chargers to get one of, what, three wild card spots? That's like six or seven teams fighting for one spot. And you still are right now tied with the Houston Texans in the division. So I do wonder if they kind of – I think – I don't want to say that this game kind of influenced their, oh, we're going to try and – still going to try and win some games and make the playoffs with a rookie quarterback but it kind of felt like the energy picked up a little bit more. You know, it felt like they, the vibes were a little higher coming out of that game for the Titans, but vibes vibe, are not high. Horrendous. No, just horrendous. Just like, not great. Yeah. I don't know what happened with Desmond Ritter. They said he had a concussion, but then he got cleared, but then he never came back in the game. Arthur Smith said after the game, he had a, he did have a concussion. It wasn't because of his play, but, it's just overall very, very, very weird times in Atlanta because, again, I feel like we do this. We've said this about the Falcons like since the beginning of the year. This team is really talented, and the defense is really talented. They just don't have an answer at quarterback right now. They don't. They don't. And it's glaring. And then when you're dialing up trick plays where T3 is throwing a T2 while T1 is blocking for T's three and two, like when you're dialing up plays like that, you know you've got a quarterback issue. Like, you know, other teams probably aren't doing that with guys like Mahomes unless they just get bored. And Mahomes is like, yeah, fine, do it. I don't care. Um, yeah, he's just – and I, I wrote this down watching that game. Arthur Smith is just trolling everyone. Like, it seems like, and maybe it's because he's trying to mask what he has at quarterback, but it seems like he's just not using the talented that he ha talented players that he has. And I know Falcons fans are losing their mind. I know our, our dear friend, Gianna Kelly, is losing her mind about what we're seeing at the quarterback position. But is Taylor Heineke the answer? I don't know. Um, but it certainly seems like it would be better than what we've seen to this point. Yeah, and I also think 
there are a lot more issues outside of quarterback for Atlanta. Like they got severely outclassed on the offensive line. Yeah. I mean, Tennessee's defensive line does that to a lot of people. Jefferson's had a career day. You know, I just I just wonder how much of this is like, like you said, Arthur Smith kind of outsmarting himself. You know, you don't you don't have to try and scheme up the best play in the world. You don't have to try and like draw up the next like McVeigh disciple, like the next big thing in the NFL. You just have to do something effective. Yeah. And the Falcons don't feel like they're they're getting into their most effective things, especially yeah. in a passing game. Like it just doesn't feel like it feels like they're running a collection of plays rather than like in that's a, yeah, yeah, that's a great way to describe it. It's just like I've got this group of plays that I think are gonna work with the talent that I have instead of like stacking stuff and putting foundational concepts in and like you know, at times he's put Ritter in a good position, I think, but at other times he's kind of almost schemed against what he can do well. You know, there was a moment where in that game they leaned into his legs a little bit. I think at this point you got a Trubisky up. Like if you're going to leave him in the lineup, you're going to run some 19 power and just say, look, we're not going to trust you to hand the ball off or make his own read decisions. Like we'll run a 19 power, 18 power at times. We'll come out at a T formation if we have to, like, you know, just just lean into what you know he can do. Don't try to, like, scheme everything up perfectly for him. And, again, the best thing for the Atlanta Falcons, despite losing, is they are in the NFC South. They are in the South. NFC South, so they still, they still got a shot. Yeah, still got a shot. You are still in it, no matter how many times you lose. But it's going to get a little tighter because now they have the same record as the New Orleans Saints who took care of business against the Indianapolis Colts, 38-27, Derek Carr throwing for 310 yards. I still don't know what to think of this Saints team. I don't, because the Colts are still in that rebuilding phase, but at least like at least the passing game looked a little better. Like At least it looked competent, yeah. because the last time we saw this team, it didn't look competent at all. I thought it was hilarious, JP, that the first throw of the game was a back shoulder throw to Michael Thomas, a throw that's <laughs> so dependent on chemistry. A week after the chemistry looked completely off the rails against Jacksonville, you had like Thomas out there like chatting up with Darren Olofsky about reads that were missed in the passing game. And you had Lobby saying, look, I wasn't even in the progression and he's yelling at me. Like the chemistry was so wildly off in that Jacksonville game. So they come on, go back shoulder first throw. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Um, you know, the, the Shahid touchdown, that was a great call. I mean, look, you, you get quarter, quarter, half, quarters to that side of the field. You run a post-out combination. It's just an ideal quarters breaker. You know, corner didn't have a chance because you're playing outside leverage against that route. So, yeah, the passing game looked better. The chemistry looked better. The best part about it, though, is, as, as you said, they're in the NFC South. And, and so I know we're going to get to Bryce Young. I know we're going to get to the Panthers. Um, you've still got a shot. You've still got a shot to win this division. Arthur Smith is still doing everything we talked about. Now, do I believe in this team What if and when they get into the playoffs? Absolutely not. But they'll give themselves a chance if they do get in. Yeah, and they're going to give themselves a shot because they still have a defense that is capable of, you know, they can, they're can. they capable of flipping games. They still have talent on that side of the ball. And as long as you can keep them, as long as you can keep the Saints offense within reach, you know, they're still they still have talented players. Chris Olave is very talented. Yeah. I think Rashid Shahid is super fun because he runs like three routes. Three routes. Like, oh, it's like seven, oh, eight, nine. That's oh, it. 
post corner. Yeah. That's it. Oh, he is a big game hunter down the field. And every time, every game the Saints have played this year, there has always been one big Rashid Shaheed play. It's yeah. always like a 40-yard touchdown. And then nothing else for the rest of the game. He know he knows what he does what yeah. he does. I think it's because he wears number 22. Nobody thinks that he's like a fast as he is. Yeah. But no, he's just like flying past guys. So I think the best thing about the Saints for this win is you're still in contention for the NFC South. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be in contention until maybe November 26th and January 7th, because that's when the Falcons play yeah. the Saints. Like they're lucky enough to catch the Saints at the end, the end of the season, two games down the stretch, like post Thanksgiving. Yeah. Like that's that could potentially end up being kind of like I'm not saying they're the same caliber of teams, but we're gonna end up looking at that kind of like how we looked at Jaguars Titans last year. Yeah, where this division isn't good, but, but this one game's going to probably be on prime time because the winner of the game, January seventh, is probably going to be in the playoffs the next moment. Oh, do you think that that could be the game to like close out the season? I think I think if they really want to go all in on like, hey, want to come see this car accident of the of a division? Come watch Falcon Saints for the winner take all game. We, we could potentially get, like, Taylor Heineke versus Derek Carr on Monday Night Football. I want Peyton and Eli breaking down that game. <laughs> oh, my goodness, man. That would oh, that would be something. <laughs> that would be a great way to end the regular season. It'd be hilarious. But speaking of Bryce Young, the Panthers finally, finally get on the board. 15-13 over the Houston Texans. Bryce Young finally. Oh, oh there it is. Oh. Surprise! I, I did not expect forward. that. Did not expect that. Rachelle hit the fast forward button. You know what? With the fast forward button, we always have to respect it. So, Mark, give us your one sentence on Panthers Texan. Best Bryce Young game to date. I think Panthers fans are probably feeling a little bit better about things come this Monday morning. I know our good buddy James Dater is among them. Yeah, my one sentence is everybody needed to chill about Bryce Young. You know, he's he'll be fine. It's just a little rough rough stretch when you're throwing to Adam Thielen every play. But now we move on to some other teams that were unfortunate enough to lose on Sunday, and we're, we're just going to rip the Band-Aid off. The Dolphins take care of the New England Patriots, 31-17. It looked close for, like, a couple of minutes. Yeah, like, the first eight games, I had the, like, tweet ready to go, like, the DMs and the text ready to go to all my Dolphins friends out there. But then I'm like, you know what? I should not hit send on these. And I was smart for not doing that because, you know, Mac Jones did what Mac Jones does. You know, you get in a a situation where you're an opportunity to get some points on the board before halftime. You're on a little PO concept that's their post-wheel. Jalen Ramsey is like, yeah, I might have been out for 94 days, but I'm Jalen Ramsey and you're Mac Jones. And he jumps it, and it's almost a pick six. And at that moment, you're like, yep, all right, well, good thing I got to go coach baseball because watching the rest (laughs) of this game is probably not going to be good for my mental health. Um, Now you get Kendrick Bourne with an ACL injury. They lost Juwan Bentley during that game as well. And now, believe it or not, they're the only two-win team in the AFC. They're at the absolute bottom of the AFC standards. So, yeah. Things are looking up in New England right now. It's just the Matt Jones interception, it just really felt like a microcosm of what Matt Jones has been this year. Yeah. He has he is reverted back to a guy where he's constantly trying to make a big play. He's writing checks that his arm cannot catch. Yep. 
He's throwing a, on the chip. to the far hash of the field. Like, dog, you don't have the facilities for that. Nope. You have not unlocked that level in the game. Nope. Jalen Ramsey just stood there like, okay, man, you want to try this throw? Yeah. I'm going to bait you into it, and I'm going to take off down the sideline. But from Miami's perspective, this is like this is another like ho hum. Tua didn't play that great. Thirty one points. Right, right. But they're just so explosive. They're just so explosive. I mean, and yeah, Patriots fans. There were a couple of calls now down there. The Red Zone on some DPIs and things like that. It doesn't matter. Like this is such a fast, explosive offense. And even though the Patriots defense did some things early in the game, I think my biggest takeaway from this Miami team, not just from this game, but on this season, is. McDaniel's ahead of things, like with his play call, right? Because like last year, teams sort of figured it out. He didn't have the counterpunch. He's ahead of things now with, with play calling. He knows, oh, this is what you're going to do. Like he's become a much better play caller this year. And I think that perhaps more than anything else is going to be the biggest thing for them down the stretch. I mean, injuries are starting to mount, like offensive line injuries, and that will be a problem against some other teams they'll face. But ho-hum, 31 points. There you go. It's just, I really do want to see how they continue to use Jalen Ramsey, especially because Xavier Howard was out. So Jalen Ramsey played a lot of outside corner. Yeah. I wonder when Xavier Howard gets back and they have their full roster of DBs healthy. Is Jalen Ramsey going to play a little inside and outside, or is he just going to be an outside corner? I feel like you're going to lose a little bit of what makes Jalen Ramsey so special if you only put him at outside corner. Yeah. You don't want to throw too much at him right away. Because, you know, he's coming off a meniscus injury where he came back a little early. He came back way early. Yeah. Do wonder how they continue to deploy Jalen Ramsey. I think he played outside corner for most of the game. He played on the left side. And you could tell that Mac Jones. Yeah, Mac was was like five of nine targeted that side of the field with a pick. Yeah. Yeah, He's he's like, yeah, I'm not going to throw to that guy. And the one time he did, he got burned for a pick. So I wonder how they continue to deploy Jalen Ramsey. But like I said, offense is really just going to continue to have answers find answers mid-game and it's going to be really hard to stop yeah so we both still have two we both still have i feel fast. like we should also use rj's in his honor right like we, we will we should, also we should pick a game that rj would probably hit the fast forward we'll, we'll let rachel make that call yeah, but we'll i feel make, like we'll the honor of rj's fast forward yeah. we're coming up on one uh the new york jets taking down the giants in the battle of new york 13 13- <laughs> <laughs> All right, I knew it was coming. Let, I knew I was – let's just get this one out the way, rip the Band-Aid off, mark one sentence on whatever this game is. I'm going to give you two just because I, I feel like I can. One, imagine standing in the cold rain to watch Tommy DeVito versus Zach Wilson. Like, I mean, you didn't think you were signing up when you got tickets to this game, but that's what you've got. But the other thing, and I think this best summarizes this game, I was seeing tribute videos – on Twitter at X to Jets punter Thomas Morstead. <laughs> Set to music and everything because he had a fantastic game. But when you're doing highlight tribute video packages to the punter, tells you everything you need to know about this game. Yeah, my one sentence is Tommy DeVito is the most Italian quarterback that we have ever seen in the NFL. Move over Vinny Sestaverde, Jimmy Garoppolo, take a seat. Tommy DeVito is the most Italian man to ever play quarterback in the What NFL. is it that Mookie said in Slack Sunday? Like, I know I got a toasted bagel from this guy at some point. Like, oh, yeah. He, he's for sure. He looked like an extra from the Sopranos. Yeah. He looked. He looks like he definitely was uh, – he moonlighted. He moonlights for the mob at times. And he's in New York. Like, he, he that's basically a home, home away from home for him. 
Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Next game, your favorite Jacksonville Jaguars. Take down the Pittsburgh Steelers. Move on to six and two. They're six and two for the first time since 1999. For the people at home, I was not born in 1999. So that is the last time that the Jaguars were six and two. You know, it was a very much the Pittsburgh Steelers talked a lot of trash before the game during the week. And then George Pickens was held to one catch for 22 yards. This is a game where, you know, this is the type of game the Steelers lose to teams that are actually good and don't turn the ball over in their side of the field. Jaguars didn't turn the ball over in their side of the field. That's how the Steelers score points. They take advantage of um, turnovers on the other side of the field. Not when the Jaguars, the Jaguars' special ability, their special talent, their superpower is getting all the way to the red zone and then completely screwing up. Like, that is, like, their superpower. They are one of the few teams in the NFL that can consistently shoot themselves in the foot in the red zone. Now, on the on the bad side, Trevor Lawrence did throw an interception in the red zone that was really ugly. But it's the Steelers. They cannot drive the length of the field. And Kenny Pickett went out with, I believe, what was a rib injury on a very questionable non-call on roughing the passer. But this is the, the Jaguars are really good. They are a really good team that is finding ways to win. I think that is the most important thing about a good football team. You just find a way. You know, the passing game looked a little sluggish early, but Trevor Lawrence made big throws, made made runs with his legs. Travis Etienne is playing like an all-pro caliber talent right now at a position. He was amazing once again, but the defense just consistently makes plays, consistently just beating teams to the punch. Trayvon Walker had a great game on defense the Jaguars held the Steelers without a first quarter first down they did not get a first down until midway through the second quarter that is bad offense that is bad hoops by the Pittsburgh Steelers I don't know what else you can do because again this is the ceiling like we talked about the glass ceiling with the Los Angeles Rams this is the glass ceiling with the Steelers you might be able to punch around for a little bit but until you get an offense that is legitimately consistent at being able to just move the ball the Steelers could not move the ball until you get to that point you are going to consistently be in that second and third tier of teams in a loaded AFC yeah 
I think that's exactly right. I, I love what you said, finding ways to win. I feel like that was a theme, not just for Jacksonville, but like almost across the league yesterday. Like teams found ways to win. Jacksonville found ways to win. I thought, you know, you saw a lot of what we expected to see from this offense verticality out of the slot. You had Kirk, you had Ridley like running and they were trying to obviously, all right, you get Peterson, you get JP, you know, Joey Porter Jr. on the outside. We'll attack through the slot. There were some great throws that, you know, Lawrence made in the vertical passing game on routes coming out of the slot. The touchdown to ETN, whole shot, just like an absolutely perfect throw. And then, you know, from Pittsburgh's perspective, like this is, you know, the glass ceiling with them. This is, as you said, they might be good enough to stay close, but they don't have the offense to sort of get over the hump. It's like that thing you said a couple of weeks ago, the Patriots, the Steelers are who we thought the Patriots were. Like, Offense is good, is not good enough to win games on a day where defense kind of does okay and holds a team to 20. You might think, all right, that gives yourself a shot. You never felt like the Steelers had a chance to win this game. Like you never felt, even though it was sort of a close game and, you know, 10-point game, you never felt like Pittsburgh got a shot. Yeah, and it just feels like the Steelers' defense has to score a touchdown yeah. for the Steelers' team to win a game. They have to play – they have to play way above expectation. And you just – asking them so much you're asking so much of a secondary that's been very inconsistent we're playing a lot of young guys like you said that cover two touchdown the whole shot was beautiful i think that was one where i think demonte kz kind of peaked a little too hard and trevor lawrence saw that immediately and just dropped yeah. it right to the etn like i said the jaguars i think we can firmly place them among the elite teams in the afc like yeah. legitimate contenders because not only do they have the defense but the offense still has not put together like the, their best games of the season yet. And they have the talent, they have the quarterback to continue to do that. Absolutely. And they're just, they're going to keep winning games. I think, like I said, this is the best start for a Jaguars team since before I was even a thought. So. And what, and, and for those that might not know, what did the 1999 Jacksonville Jags do in the postseason? Oh, was that the, the year they beat the Steelers as well? Yeah. And they got to an AFC championship game. I mean, no? I, I could see this team getting to an AFC championship game sitting there right now. We're partying like it's 1999 over there here. There we go. There we go. I was graduating college out here. Anyway. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> but speaking of finding ways to win, the Philadelphia Eagles escape the commanders again. For some reason, the commanders just consistently have the Eagles number 38-31. This was just a phenomenal A.J. Brown game. Yeah. Like, he is just putting together – game after game of just consistently being one of the three best receivers in football. He's going to be in Emmanuel Forbes nightmares. That That's just a bad matchup. For that's Emmanuel. a horrible matchup okay, because, for Emmanuel Forbes. The entire Forbes. thing for Emmanuel Forbes is he might be good, but he's like 160 pounds. Yeah. And I mean, AJ Brown, he's not on Devonta Smith more often. Doesn't make sense to me. You, have, you can't let Optimus Prime at wide receiver dunk on your 160-pound corner consistently. You have to make a change. But this was, again, the Eagles finding ways to win. They are now sole holders of the best record in football. And, again, they just have – they have the dudes to just – no matter what happens through a game, they will continue to find ways to win because they are just more talented. They won that game up front on the defensive line. The pass rush started to get after. Hassan Reddick coming up with two huge plays. Jalen Hurts playing a really good game as a quarterback, as a pocket passer. The run game was just – it wasn't as consistent. But you're kind of expecting that because commanders have a really good defensive line. That is one of the reasons why I think the commanders kind of consistently have the Eagles number is 
they have look, you spend four first round picks, consecutive first round picks on defensive line. At least three of them got to work out, and four of them look really good this year. And in including another backup in, I, I forgot his name, but another backup where you have five legitimate defensive linemen that you can rotate in and out of the game. So they consistently have their number, but the Eagles just find ways to win consistently. Yeah. And I think my biggest question coming out of this game is what does Washington do now? Because we heard going into this game, and who knows if it's true or not. But what they were going to do over the next, you know, 26 hours or so is dependent on how they fared against Philadelphia. Is a loss enough to make them complete sellers? Is a narrow loss, like a seven-point loss to the team that was in the Super Bowl last year and sitting here right now is the best team in the NFC, at least record-wise, is that enough to make you say, we're going to at least try to, like, stick around? Because, you know, Howell was taking a ton of sacks this year, but it's not like he was bad. And in many ways, this might have been one of his better games. Mark Bullock, who does a great job covering this franchise, covering this organization, wrote a great piece of this Substack today talking about a lot of the mistakes you saw from Howell earlier in this season. He had cleaned up for this game. You know, he was only sacked once, put up some pretty good numbers like, I don't know what Washington does. Again, another one of these teams is in this weird spot where it's like, yeah, you could trade Chase Young, and they've had some inquiries apparently about Chase Young. You could become sellers, or you could say, why? You know, maybe we'll at least sit pat, maybe not sell stuff off, maybe not be buyers, but sit pat and sort of see where the rest of the season goes. They're just in a weird position. I feel like they have to make a move here because – you can say like they've they can stand pat. They've been standing pat for the last few years, and yeah. that has ended them in purgatory. You they are consistently on the wheel of being not good enough to make the playoffs, but not bad enough to be like in position to draft an elite talent that will help this team. Like I said, Sam Howell played his best game of this of probably his career in uh in Sunday's loss, but they still need help along the offensive line. Yeah. You know, they're gonna need a lot of help on the defensive side of the ball, especially at corner once again. I feel like they have to be sellers. I, I don't want them to fall into that purgatory cycle that they've been in since making the playoffs in 2020, where they keep trying to piece things together and hope like, hey, we can get into the wild card and make something happen. But I don't know if this team is going to be good enough, even in an NFC that looks like things can still be wide open. But you just don't want to be on that wheel of purgatory forever and right. for Washington it kind of feels like they're headed that way you know yeah yeah it does it, it they're in a rough spot I do wonder if they end up being sellers or buyers at the deadline but we will figure that out come today and tomorrow but another game we're getting to getting to the 4 p.m slate which was just Jeff's kiss amazing In, incredible television we're going to start off with the Denver Broncos Finally taking out the boogeyman for the first time since 2015 when I was a sophomore in high school. The Denver Broncos take down the Kansas City Chiefs 24 to 9. I have no idea what to make of this game. I have absolutely no idea. I mean, I I, I almost want to just take the easy cop out and just say Mahomes was sick. Let's move on. Like he did. <laughs> He was sick. He didn't look right. Like, he just seemed off. Like, he missed opportunity. He had uh, Watson 
open on a deep seven route late in the third quarter. Just absolutely missed him. Just just overthrew it, which you often don't see him do. And he had a tiny bit of pressure, but nothing Patrick Mahomes can't handle. So I'm tempted to just say he was sick. But then, look, Denver did some things in this in this game that have been sort of a recipe to to slow down offenses like this offense, right? They were able to at times get pressure with Ford, solve problems with numbers and coverage. Right? We'll just drop seven. We'll just drop seven and rush four and you know, make him hold on to the ball. You get the sack fumble at the end of the second quarter, four-man rush, seven in coverage. He's holding the ball, and maybe he's not feeling like he's going to run around and extend plays, and he gets the strip sack. So I I think it was partly that he wasn't 100%, but I also think that Denver deserves some credit because the defense did some things that have worked against him in the past. And, hey, Russell Wilson played a pretty good game. (laughs) I was going to talk about Russell Wilson a little bit. I've been very critical of Russell Wilson. This was probably his best game of the season. And if you look at his spray chart, didn't ask him to do much. Nope. This was not a left Russell. This was easy bake oven Russell Wilson, which is exactly where you want him to be. You know, he only threw the ball 19 times. He didn't have to throw the ball downfield that much. And there was the one beautiful throw to Judy yeah. early in the game where I was like, oh, maybe Russ is back a little bit. But, you know, this is where the Broncos want to be. Don't let Russ screw it up. Let him hand the ball off. The, Bron- the Broncos ran the ball really well. Their EPA and success rate was really well, was really good. It's just, it's weird for the Chiefs. And I feel kind of weird for saying it, but I feel like the Chiefs kind of missed Juju Smith-Schuster a little bit. I feel like they missed, they missed that veteran in the middle of the field, in those areas where you could just zone off. Yeah play that zone defense. They needed somebody that's not Travis Kelsey to find the hole in the zone. I think the, the Chiefs receivers are talented, but they're still young. The second best receiver is Rasheed Rice, and he's a rookie. He's played well, but again, you're expecting a first-year player to immediately have chemistry with Mahomes, to find the holes in the zone. I feel like they need a veteran receiver. You know, yeah. Sky Moore just hasn't panned out for some reason. I think they're playing him outside far too much. If that's a slot receiver and you keep playing them on the outside, they need a vet receiver. I wonder if they are going to be buyers at the deadline for a receiver in that receiver market. But I just wonder who. Like, It doesn't have to be a big-name guy. Like, You don't have to go get DeAndre Hopkins. You just need a veteran who can find those holes in the zone because they don't have that right now. Every I mean, do you think they go after one of the guys that they've just played against? Because, you know, Sutton and Judy are like two of the names that have always been brought up and receiver trades do they go afterward do we see one of those rare in division trades i do wonder if they go after sutton or judy i wonder if the broncos will sell them to them because it is an interdivision trade but they've already played them twice yeah you'll have to see those guys again but it is weird with the interdivision trading um like i said you don't need to go get deandre Hopkins. it doesn't have to be a big name you know but maybe just like just a reliable guy in that middle of the field area. Because I mean, I know Juju's hurt, but you can try to get him back. You could run it back. I mean, maybe Jacoby Myers. Yeah. I mean, that's a great fit too, because Myers with a former quarterback background, like he knows, even if he doesn't have chemistry with, with Mahomes right away, he knows how to find those soft spots. And I think you're absolutely right. They need that. They're missing that. Middle of the field plan B that isn't Travis Kelsey, your plan A. In my yeah, opinion. they need <laughs> – I 
<laughs> my my dad says this a lot about basketball teams that are really young and are still trying to figure out. They need an OG. Yeah. The receiver room needs an OG in the room. They need their Udonis Aslam, maybe. They, right. they need their Chris Paul. And maybe Jacoby Myers can be that. Maybe Cortland Sutton. But I think that's the biggest issue with the Chiefs receivers right now. It's not that they're not good enough. It's just they're young. They haven't played a lot of games. Like maybe this ends up being something like with the Chiefs DBs last year, where they were making a lot of mistakes early, but then tightened it up as the season went on. And then, you know, the Chiefs win another Super Bowl because the young guys get better. But they just need they need somebody to kind of make make the transition from, oh, Travis Kelsey isn't open. What do I do next? Right. Make that transition a little smoother. Because now the AFC is getting a little tight. It's not just you at the top now. And you're yep. about to go play the Dolphins in Germany. That could be a big – that's a big game. That's not a only massive for, game. Not only for, like, the vibes of the team, but potentially home field advantage for first-round buys come playoff time. So they they might need to get another guy in that room. But By the a, way, I, I don't mean to sort of jump off this back to a game we hammered the fast-forward button on. But I feel like I need to point this out. Pat Leonard from New York Daily News just shared that Brian Dable claims trainers cleared Daniel Jones before the game, but didn't tell him until after the game. I just felt I needed to share that, JP. <laughs> so you got trainers basically saying, look, we don't want to see Daniel Jones in this game. Like, what? What the hell is going on in New York, man? What is going on in New York and the medical staff? Because Aaron Rodgers is apparently throwing the ball around. People think he's going to be back for the end of the season. Everybody just needs to take a chill pill with that. What's wrong? What the, the Giants are just weird, man. And now they're getting dunked on by the Jet social media team who posted a meme today of the two guys on the bus. They just said the right. New York commute. The vibes are just not great. Not they're but, not Chicago vibes. They're not Chicago vibes. But the vibes are sky high in Cincinnati who handled the San Francisco 49ers 31-17. Joe Burrow throwing, for throwing, I believe, four, three or four touchdowns. The offense just looked back. like it's, It looks like they're fully back. And now you kind of think about going back early into the season where they look kind of rough. We did a football court about whether they should shut it down and try and tank. I'm kind of victory laughing a little bit. You should Not be. much, but a little bit. So I was like, hey, let's, let's slow down here. If they can make it to the bye and get Joe Burrow healthy, they can still make noise in the AFC. And this might have been the, I think, like how Stella got her groove back game for the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, and I, I know I know you sort of focused on Burrow, and I think you got something in the works on him, which I'm excited to see. Lou Anarano, man. Like, Max so Toscato, who, who does great stuff uh, at, over at the LSU site, he was asking on X, I think Sunday night, like if you had to pick one D coordinator right now to dial up a game plan, it would be him. And I think there's a lot of wisdom to that because you see some of the stuff that he did. It's, you know, pressure looks, but then we're dropping eight and we're just rushing three. It's, you know, we're going to show a four man rush and then we're suddenly bringing some sim pressures. It's, we'll just get pressure with four. I mean, he had a sequence late in the third quarter. First and 10, they drop eight, get a three yard run on second and down to get to a third and seven. And then they bring five with a loop and a twist and you get immediate free runner in Brock Purdy's face. Like they dialed up some really good stuff. They were able to get pressure with four. And if you remember, one of the lessons that we talked about in that Cleveland San Francisco game was, oh, hey, if there's a blueprint to beat San Francisco, it's 
can you get pressure with four? Yeah, it's a pretty easy blueprint. It's something we rely on all the time, but not too many people have Miles Garrett and Zedaria Smith. Well, Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson are pretty darn good. Pretty too. And so, I mean, you look at how they looked on offense. You look at how they looked on defense. You looked at where they are right now. This was the game we all circled, right? You get the two games, Arizona and Seattle. Then you get your bye. Now you get the big one, San Francisco. How are you going to look there? Look pretty darn good. Yeah, and the defense just played phenomenally, especially against the run. I feel like the Bengals don't get enough credit for how good they are at game planning and defending against the run. Yeah. Christian McCaffrey had 12 carries for 54 yards, and that is something that I'm very intrigued about what happens with the 49ers this year because it felt a little bit like Brock Purdy might have been turning back into a pumpkin. I'm not going to say it's like it's over for Brock Purdy, but, man, I feel like they are missing the Debo easy button in the run game, not only in the run game, but in the screen game. Because a lot of times you use RPOs and screens. Those are just extensions of the run game. That is what an RPO is. That is what a screen is. That is, we're going to get the ball out quick. It's at the line of scrimmage, and we're going to let our guys run after the catch. I feel like the 49ers miss Debo Samuel a lot, especially now because Christian McCaffrey still has that oblique injury. He has not looked 100%. They need some way to get easy yards in that area and not having Debo. It, and I know they have the Monstars on offense, but it puts a little bit more pressure on Brock Purdy to make throws downfield. And, you know, we saw like, Hey, maybe, maybe it's not, it's not looking too great right now. Maybe it's, maybe teams are starting to figure out what makes Brock Purdy tick, but for the Bengals, man, this is what you wanted to see from the offense. And the biggest thing that I saw was, they were finally able to get back, get to under center plays. Because Joe Burrow couldn't move, they were exclusively a shotgun team. And as good as they were last year at a shotgun, it felt like they were kind of siloing themselves off. It, they were only limiting themselves to one part of the playbook. Now that they can get under center and they can get into the run game, they can get into play action. You have built this offensive line to be better in the run game. And now you can get to that under center stuff. Sam Hoppin who was a great follow on Twitter. I believe he yep. said through one through seven, Joe Burrow had 15 under center play acts, under center plays. Against the 49ers, he had 14. Like that's that's going to open up so much more of the offense. It's going to help create, it's not only going to help Joe Burrow, it's going to help the offensive line. Like getting the play action helps the offensive line. It keeps the defense off kilter, which is what you want to do against the 49ers who play so aggressively up front. They are teeing off on every play. You want to get them off speed, get them off balance a little bit. And now you can start to see Joe Burrow looks healthy. You know, you see the one play on the uh, opening drive where he gets away from all the defensive linemen and then throws a pass to Higgins. You're like, oh, that's the Joe He's Burrow. Back. And it's not just those plays. It's the timely scrambles on third down. You know, we talk about what Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence has started doing this this year. The third down scrambles are so effective. And Joe Burrow was starting to get into that. He could tell he was healthy because he was moving. You know, he was hyped. He was getting the crowd hype. I think this is, we might have written off the Bengals a little too early. The rumors of the Bengals' death was greatly exaggerated. But I feel like we still have a lot more questions about the 49ers. We do. And where are we on this stat? Kyle Shanahan's what now? 0-37 when trailing by 8 in the fourth quarter? Like where, great. where do and we fall on that? Do we fall on the side of, well, maybe this is still a quarterback limitation issue. Is this a Shanahan? Like, like where are we on this spectrum? Is it just a combination of everything? 
I think it's a combination of everything. But a big thing is if you don't have a guy you can trust throwing the ball downfield when you're down eight plus, can't necessarily run the ball in the fourth quarter when you're down eight plus. You got to start, I start throwing the ball a little bit. But again, I just really feel like not having Debo Samuel has limited this offense to Christian McCaffrey run, figure out. Yeah. And I don't think Brock is the caliber of quarterback yet or caliber of quarterback right now to be a guy where you can just throw him out there and say, figure it out. Right. Like I, I wrote about Brock Purdy and established fun a couple weeks ago. I said he's elevated the offense a little bit, but he still makes those Brock Purdy mistakes. He and- is going to throw the ball across his body over the middle of the field. Because it's his 14th career start. That's, he's still in his sort of rookie year, technically, right? Like, getting to sort of the tail end of that, you know, 14 starts. But there's still going to be some mistakes. In, in most weeks, they'll be enough. They'll have enough. They'll be playing a team where it's not going to bite you. Cincinnati's not that team right now. Cincinnati's a much better team than that right now. And it starts to bring up the question, you know, of course, with every 49ers team, every Shanahan team, where they end up falling short, is this going to be enough when it comes time to you need your quarterback to play well to make it to the Super Bowl, not only make it to the Super Bowl, but to but win. win? Yeah. Is this going to be enough? But we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that a lot later because the 49ers are still going to be good. They're still going to be. They're still going to be at it. Yeah. They're still going to be in it. But your new leaders in the NFC West, the Seattle Seahawks, taking down the Cleveland Browns 24 to 20. It took a late Jackson Smith and Jigba touchdown and a huge defensive stand by the Seattle Seahawks, but they are now the sole leaders of the NFC West. And, you know, we kind of talked about it a little early on in the season, like, hey, maybe Seattle can make some noise in this division, in this conference, because they have the offense that can get up and down the field and score points with anybody. Yeah. Yeah, and look, this was against a very good defense. You know, Browns defense we just talked about. And they had the late touchdown, you know, the late touchdown drive, the JSN touchdown, huge catch and run play from Noah Fant to get yourself in position, not just so you got yourself in field goal range. So they can go up and down the field and score. Their defense, I think this isn't the best example of it, but I do think they have one of the league's best defenses. And, and you know, Devon Witherspoon, I think, was built in a lab to play corner for Pete Carroll. So that was such a great fit. I think from Cleveland's side of things, like the quarterback situation is just rough. Like it, it, it's just rough. I mean, PJ Walker yeah. is at the bottom of Q, uh, EPA and you know completion percentage over expectation composite. He's down there with Zach Wilson and Matt Jones, which is not good territory. He was missing some pre-snap pressure looks where you'd expect him because he's been around for a while. He's played a lot of football. You'd expect him to at least know that was coming, if not slide the protection that way because you see him capped receivers and things like that. He's not pointing that out. Seattle's good. Seattle's a good football team. Good defense. Geno had some mistakes in this game, but again, you're playing a good deep Cleveland defense. So I think that they're going to certainly be in the mix down the stretch. But from Cleveland's side of things, like this is the problem. This is that glass ceiling, as we've talked about, when you have such a very good defense. But you can't pitch shutouts in the NFL today, even when the scoring is down, even when teams are struggling in the red zone. You need the offense to do a little bit more. And with this offense right now with P.J. Walker, when Sean, when he's in the lineup at hurt, it's just tough. And speaking on the Cal- not Cal- the Browns offense a little bit, it's, it's rough because people are going to start calling for Kevin Stefanski's head, calling for Kevin Stefanski's job, but he's done a good job. Yeah. He scored, that team scored 20 points on the Seahawks with one of the bottom 
quarterbacks in the NFL right now as their starter. It's just, again, like you said, the glass ceiling. You cannot, you really can't do much when your quarterback can't hit throws. You can't go out there and make the throws for him. Nope. I know Kevin Stefanski wishes he could, but he can't. You know, this, this is the glass ceiling. And until you get not only Deshaun healthy, but Deshaun functional. Like, he has not yeah. been functional even when he's played. Like, that's the big thing. But they were they were close enough. It just, just couldn't happen. But for Seattle, they are capital G good. And I think one of the biggest things for them is getting Tyler Lockett back healthy. Um, I think um, Ben Baldwin citing the athletic has receiving stats. Tyler Lockett had a 70% success rate on all of his targets. Is that good? I think that's good. Good. Yeah. That's pretty good. But just getting him to be that reliable target. I feel like he's kind of Seattle's wide receiver one. I know DK Metcalf gets a lot more of the attention. Yeah. He is the consistent guy in that offense. Jake Bobo, once again, awesome. Free Bobo. But he, the Seahawks are good. They can create so many different – they can create so many different matchups. They can win games in gun – they can win guns blazing shootout games. Yep. They have the personnel to do that. They can win the grinded out games. Like you said, that defense is starting to round into form. They have such a talented defensive back room. And one of my favorite parts about that team is that DB room talks a lot of shit. Oh, yeah, they do. They are one of – Go, the Browns and the Seahawks collective DB shit talking might have cost the charge, man. The scale because the Seahawks they will win, and you know, Jamal Adams will talk shit, Devin Witherspoon talks shit, Reek Woolen, all of them shit talkers, and it's great. I love, I love how they play defense. They're they're gonna really be a huge contender in the NFC West, especially if the 49ers aren't gonna be as healthy as they, they were in years past, you know. They haven't really been bitten by the injury bug. And even when they were, it was a quarterback. And Kyle Shanahan can kind of manufacture quarterback play out of one of us. So it's it's going to look real interesting now that the 49ers don't have one of the monsters in the game. And Seattle gets to close out the season. San Francisco, Dallas, San Francisco. Cool. And, and wait, no, they get the Eagles in that stretch too. So, yeah, they got a stretch of four games. Niners, Cowboys, Niners, Seahawks. My goodness. That and that's is... like from Thanksgiving to Christmas. That four-week stretch is going to decide a lot of stuff at the NFC. Oh, yeah. Not only, like I said, NFC West, but again. NFC East, NFC overall. Home yeah. field advantage, first-round buys right now. Yeah. And it didn't feel like Seattle was going to be in that conversation, but the defense has really stepped up. And I think that's a really cool part of what they've done so far this season. And they are capital G good. Now, going to another capital G good team, the Ravens handle business against the Arizona Cardinals. It looked a little, a little weird. A little odd. Like the the Cardinals do this to teams. We were figuring out the Cardinals do this, but it was a little, eh. I mean, 31 24, but the Cardinals kind of, they got one over for the people who had uh, money on the game. Yeah. For a certain certain part of the community. Yeah. Certain parts of the community who were interested in the end of the part of that game, but. The Ravens handle business. They're they're good. They are ju- they're just a good football team. And yeah. Like we said, they find ways to win. They found ways to win. It was a day where like the passing game wasn't crisp. Like l- even on some of their biggest throws, like Lamar hit you know Hill out of the backfield on a swing on a man coverage like slant wheel concept. The throw was kind of off. Like the, the passing game seemed a little off. But the run game was diverse, as it always is. They got Bateman involved in the run game. Gus Edwards had a good game. Of course, they used Lamar in the run game. You know, so 
even though like you even heard some frustration after the game like this i think it was marlon humphrey was saying like this wasn't our best game but we you know we 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 could play better than this you found a way to win don't apologize for wins in the nfl like winning is hard it's a road game against a team in arizona like you said jp they find ways to sort of stick around um you take the win you move on this is a good football team i'm not too worried about the ravens right now at all yeah i'm not worried i think the defense once again is one of the best in the league mike mcdonald's yeah. done a fantastic job and you know it's just it's one of those games you're gonna have a little bit of a clunker you yeah. know you're gonna have hey, a little you'd, you'd much rather win the clunkers than lose them like teams yeah, like yeah. say buffalo did against new england last week i mean the chiefs lost yeah. their clunker like it's better to win the clunkers than lose the clunkers in the NFL. And they just find ways to win. And if for Arizona, I really do wonder what happens when Kyler gets back. Is this, this gonna be the is Kyler gonna play or are they gonna be like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna ride this tank out till the end? And didn't they, Gannon say that they're gonna start him next week? Like I'm still curious to see if they do. There's a lot of money involved in that decision. A lot of money, and I wonder if. Kyler wants to get good tape out there. So if he does end up getting traded, he can get something out. Whereas Atlanta Falcons quarterback, Kyler Murray. (laughs) Imagine what Arthur Smith would do to not get Kyler Murray involved in the passing game. It would be so funny if the Falcons put out another statement. We are not going after Kyler Murray. We are not going after Kyler Murray. Please leave us alone. But – I just, I really do wonder if Kyler decides to play to try and get good tape out there because last last time we saw him, he didn't look that great before the injury. Yeah. But maybe in a new offense with some better weapons around him, maybe he tries to get some good tape out there or he just doesn't want to risk getting injured again. Or they don't want to risk him getting injured. Yeah, they don't want to trade him. Yeah. Yeah, they don't want to risk the trade capital. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens. We're moving on into the nightcap. I can I use my fast can forward? We all use, I can, yeah, I'll yeah. Use forward here. The Los Angeles Chargers defeat the Chicago Bears 30 to 13 in a game that did not feel even close. And like we said, the game was 30 to 13. Mark, one wow. sentence on Chargers Bears. <laughs> the Chargers social media team sort of emptied the drafts after this game you know, because they had a, a clip of Chargers fans and the Chargers themselves. I mean, just why do you win? And of course, look, just Tim Robbins just hammer dunk on the Bears. I mean, you, that's it. If you haven't seen it, just find it. It's. You have to fight them. Yeah, you have to fight. That's them. what you said, right? Like you don't get, you don't leave that stadium. Like you just go into the locker room. And fight you them. have to meet them outside the stadium. Yeah. That is a meet me in Temecula situation. I almost wonder, and I almost said this last night: Has a coach ever been fired because of another team's dunk tweet? Because <laughs> if I'm Ryan Poles, if I'm 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 looking at that, I'm thinking, all right, we get somebody's getting fired. Like, like they, we can't like, get on the play. It's embarrassing. Like yeah. that, that's unheard of. I think my my one sentence is Brandon Staley cut the beard and now he's le- looking less fireable. I think that I think that is you know when coaches start growing out the beards. That that's when they like to pack it in to wear the give up fired beard. Yeah. I mean Daniel Jones when he uh, before he got hurt he was growing out a beard and it felt like I'm about to lose my job beard. Oh. Brandon Staley had the I'm getting fire beard midway through the season, but then he cut it and the Chargers started winning. Maybe we just see babyface Staley again. 
until, you know, they go on another four-game slide and the beard comes back. He looked really weird with the beard, though. Yeah, it was, he did. It, it wasn't was not, a good look. It, it looked like he kind of, like, he like he taped it on just because you're so – you're not used to Brandon Staley with, one, a beard, two, a beard with that much gray in it. Right. It looked like somebody drew that on to make him look older. Like, you know, a little, like a little rascal's moment. Yeah. Where you got, like, three kids stacked up. He had somebody draw in that beard. Little color and make it look a little yeah, make, put a little gray in it and make it look yeah. a little accurate. I'm I'm an experienced head coach. <laughs> but we're gonna ask Rachelle to come to the board, please, so you can talk about what you liked, what you didn't like, and hand out MF double MVP on today. First of all, shout out to you, JP. You did a phenomenal job stepping in place for RJ. Um, excellent job. I know this was your first time hosting and you definitely crushed it. So I gotta give that to you first and foremost. Um Two of my thoughts from uh, week eight. One, did you guys see that play in the Ravens game? It was like the Cardinals' last touchdown where the refs just completely did not blow they the play dead. Go. They gave yeah. that yeah, We got to go. They gave <laughs> So I'm like, that was some BS. So I just had to say that because I felt some type of way about that. Like, what the heck was that? And then also shout out to the Chargers of rookie wide receiver Quentin Johnston. He had, like, one of the best games of his season so far. Um, So shout out to him. The rookie, he had five passes for 50 yards. And so that's cool to see because going into week eight, he only had 64 yards on seven catches. And so um, shout out to him for that. We love to see the rookie shining. Um, But today, you guys both had some really, really strong points. Um. Mark, I loved your point about the commanders and how, like, pretty much it's time for them to be selling um, because of the narrow loss. I know a lot of people going into this week were trying to figure out if Ron Rivera was going to be getting fired, like what's going on with Chase Young. And so that's definitely something just to keep your eyes on um, because they did almost win the game, but still they're in a bad position. So that's just something to take note of. Um, Also your point on the glass ceiling for Pittsburgh and um, how the offense is just not good enough right now to win them games. JP, I loved your point about um, the trade deadline for the Vikings and just pretty much like another thing to be paying attention to. Are they going to be buyers? Are they going to be sellers because of the injury with Kirk Cousins? Also, Mac Jones reverting. I thought that your point on him was strong and just how it's going to be interesting to see how the Miami Dolphins are going to utilize Jalen Ramsey um, in their just secondary pretty much. And so today I'm going to give it to JP. I think you thank, you. thank you. This was the this is the they called in the reliever in the middle of, middle of the game to try and eat up some innings, you know. Shout out to you guys. Thank you for letting me host for try trying my best a little bit. I feel like I feel like I did pretty good. I, I, Absolutely. You did. But, you but shout out to you guys. Thank you for walking along with me, helping me out a little bit, especially with the ad read. Um shout out to RJ. We know we know he's listening because he listens to everything. We talked about the Cowboys. We said good things about the Cowboys. So you cannot get mad at us for listening to this and saying that we didn't talk about the Cowboys. But thank you all for hopping along with us on this Monday, Football Monday. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you next week.